Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining my brother Kevin and I for what is going to be a spectacular podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon in ebook and paper book, as well as most of them on Audible for you audiophiles out there. And many of you may not be aware, I've written a series of books called The Exorcists. The first one is Truth and Lies. The second is Diabolica. And the last is Full Moon. Now, all of these books are available at Amazon in ebook and paperback. And one of them at the moment is up on Audible. That is Diabolica. Now, these are fictional stories, a real creep fest <laughs> based on a lot of fact. And the fact being that a lot of people get in trouble out there dealing with the demonic. And this is going on all the time while you and I are living our simple lives. And the church is and has been called on for hundreds and hundreds of years in an effort to deliver such people from the grasp of Satan. So I ask you to partake of those books, help support what it is I'm doing, and I'm sure you'll be entertained as well as creeped out by what they contain and now let me bring in my brother kevin kevin how are you i'm doing great bill how about you fantastic you know i've been uh you know kev we get a lot of great emails and we're really grateful for that and uh one of the most recent emails uh came from a guy And it just reinforced in me what I've been saying from the beginning. He suggested that a creepy story for us to do would be that of the abandoned fish cannery in Alaska. Right. And so I said to him, we actually did a podcast on that and we've discussed it after the fact. But, Kev, it reinforced to me the fact that people are coming into this podcast and into the realm of Bigfoot. At all different levels. Absolutely. Yeah. And this fella, some people binge listen to our podcast from podcast one. And I know that because they've told me so. Others may come in sporadically. And some, for some, uh, this podcast may be the first. Absolutely. So, and, and that's fine. We welcome you. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you definitely do not have to listen to our podcast in order. <laughs> and I would prefer if you skip the first few because we were trying to get the formula down. <laughs> but the point is that everybody is welcome. We're one big family. And 
if if your choice is to listen to this podcast and from this day forward, beautiful. Uh, but we do use some repetition. We do rehash some stories. And trust me when I tell you, my dear listeners, I have enough material, aside from what I'm still gathering fr- from you, the listeners, for years, <laughs> years of podcasting. So just uh, put your seatbelt on and come with us and enjoy the ride. Yeah, and I was laughing before, Bill, when you were talking about your uh, new uh, exorcism books, when you said it was a creep fest. I love <laughs> I love a good creep fest. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Kev, I, I've been involved in a lot of this stuff for years, looking at it, listening, reading. There was, you know, for people who don't believe that uh, demonic possession is real and that there are people out there involved in some really uh, anti-Christ spiritual activity, uh, the truth of the matter is it is real. Uh, You know, I mean, you and I grew up in the era of the Exorcist movie and the Omen movie. That stuff scared the crap out of me. And yes, I'm saying crap. Yeah, and you know, uh, uh, many of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with Father Malachi Martin, who has passed away. Uh, Now, Malachi, uh, Father Martin was just one priest who came forward uh, telling his story as a Catholic exorcist. And, you know, he was doing real hardcore exorcisms on some people. Uh, One that I recall, a woman was brought into a uh, basilica in Rome in a straitjacket, and she was shackled to the pew. And during the exorcism, she broke free of the jacket and ripped the pew out of the floor of the basilica. So, you know, there are forces at work, uh, whether people like to believe it or not, uh, like to think about it or not. There are things going on out there that are on the high end and the strangeness uh, factor. And uh, so I've kind of taken the liberty of penning these books in a fashion where I was using some known things and putting into them uh, the church's right of exorcism and my own caricatures of a couple of priests involved in the disposal of these diabolical elements. So I, mm. I encourage you to purchase them and listen to them and enjoy them. And uh, in the meantime, onward with cryptids in the news <laughs> and other oddities. Yeah, and by the way, Satan, if you're listening out there, you know, I definitely believe I got my cross around my neck. I got my cross on the wall, so stay the hell away from me. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right, boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're going to we're going to talk about some creepy stuff tonight, Bill. Uh not as creepy as that, but but pretty creepy. And it's uh the legend of old green eyes. Ah, uh, yes. You know, uh did we discuss this Kev? I I, I had a uh a phone call with a guy. No, uh, we didn't. We did not. <laughs> wow. Amazing. So, I had a phone call with a guy uh, who was a a witness to an audible. He heard 
screams and whatnot ah. uh, in the woods that he associated with this uh, creature that I believe you're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So uh, it's green eyes, not to be confused with old blue eyes. <laughs> Sinatra. And yeah. some, of, some of the content here comes from a newspaper article that appeared in 2003, but it's a pretty good newspaper article. I mean, I came across a lot of information on this, but I do want to give a shout out to a gentleman by the name of Kevin Cumming. And he wrote an article back then in the Rome News Tribune. And it's a newspaper of Rome, Georgia, which is about halfway between Atlanta and Chattanooga, Tennessee. So Atlanta, Georgia and Chattanooga, Tennessee. You know, I thought Rome was in Italy. Yeah, that Rome, too. <laughs> I think there's a Rome up your way in New York, too, if there I'm not is, mistaken. There is. Rome, New York also. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got to get a little Rome. La Roma. Uh, La Roma. Yeah. So uh, this uh, this uh, creature, green eyes, is seen on a battlefield, a Civil War battlefield called Chickamauga. And Chickamauga Battlefield is very close to Chattanooga, Tennessee, but still on the Georgia side of the border. So a little bit northwest of Rome, Georgia, where this newspaper article was written. Okay. And the Battle of Chickamauga, I didn't know that much about, but I'm not a, a you know, I got to confess, I'm not a Civil War historian, but I am learning a lot more about the Civil War with everything that's going on in society today. And it's pretty fascinating. So this battle was fought on, on September 18th through September 20th in 1863 uh, between the U.S., you know, the, the Yankee forces and the Confederate forces as part of the American Civil War. And um, it, it, you know, it took place in this battlefield and it was the first major battle of the war that was actually fought in Georgia. And it was the uh, the second highest number of casualties in the Civil War after the Battle of Gettysburg. Now, this yeah. is the Battle of Chicka Chickamauga, Kev? Chickamauga, yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. The battle was fought between the Army of the Cumberland under Major General William Rosecrans and the Confederate Army of Tennessee, you know, which was one of the fiercest armies of the South. And it's interesting that that army, the Army of the Tennessee, was under General Braxton Bragg, which if you've been following the news lately, I didn't know this, but Fort Bragg, which is one of the biggest military installations in the country, happens to be right here in the great state of North Carolina. Um, that's named after this Confederate general. So it's one of the one of the uh, installations where they're talking about changing the name of it. Yeah. And didn't they some hoodlums uh, tear down a statue of General Bragg? It could be. I don't know. But you know, it's, I, I, this whole thing is so freaking crazy. It just yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not against it, um, just because it's like such a celebration of slavery in a sense. But there's a there's a proposal on the table, not to get political, where they rename a lot of these major military institu institutions and uh, forts after uh, Congressional Medal of Honor winners, and that's hard to argue, right? I mean. There's, there's not many of them. Almost all of them are awarded posthumously, you know, after they're dead. Mm -hmm. And like, what a what a great way if it was named, 
you know, Fort whatever after a Congressional Medal of Honor winner instead of a Confederate general. Yeah. 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 There's no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, uh, what a what a great way. I mean, they're deceased, yeah. but what a great way to honor them, you I know, mean, for their families. What a great way to honor the families and stuff like that. Versus, yeah. yeah, picture again, not to get all political, but picture all of the African-American folks that go through Fort Bragg as soldiers and then learn that the, the place is named after a general. That fought for slavery. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah, that's it's not just right. not, so. it's just not right. Yeah. Anyways, so, let's. Anyway, uh, so let's that's keep... the scene of this battle. The important point there is that this was a very bloody battle. Okay, so it's um, you know second most uh, casualties only to the Battle of Gettysburg, which we know was you know hell on earth that battle. Yeah, And during this battle, soldiers uh, reported that they saw this kind of demonic-like ghost creature they called Old Green Eyes on the battlefield looking at the bodies of the dead soldiers. Oy, oy, oy. Exactly. And then the local legend is that one of the soldiers had his head blown off with a cannon shell, and they the the head was there, and they never found the body. You know, maybe it disintegrated, whatever, with the cannon shell. And that old green eyes is actually the spirit of this uh, soldier roaming around looking for his body. Oh my God! Yeah, you're liking that, right? <laughs> now, what's interesting is. The Native Americans, you know, and specifically the Cherokee, um, who inhabited this land of this battlefield long before the Civil War, they also talk about this creature, and they say that this particular body of land was cursed. So it's kind of one of those uh, Native American lands that, uh, you know, they said is cursed. A little bit like a good old Skinwalker Ranch. You took the words right out of my mouth, Kevin. <laughs> exactly. You know the uh, those two tribes out there uh, got on the bad side of each other, and the one cursed the land of the yeah, other one, the, and now you got the these Utes. skinwalkers creeping around. The Utes, not to be confused with the Utes from my cousin Vinny, but the uh, Utes of Utah, and uh, well, what's the other? What's the, the Navajo. Other? Navajo, yeah. Yeah. And the Navajo cursed the Utes because the Utes enslaved the Navajo. Yeah, now, uh, the Cherokee, did they say, uh, or, or have you uncovered why the curse was on this property? No, I didn't. I didn't. So, you okay. know, some of our listeners out there, especially in the Southeast, you probably know this story better than I do. So if you know why it was cursed by the Cherokee, let us know. Send Absolutely. us a, Send us a little note to uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Yeah. So if we go back to this article, it's interesting. They There's a quote in there that says, wherever there has been great suffering, people are always seeing strange things. And these are the words of a gentleman by the name of Edward Tinney, T-I-N-N-E-Y. And he's a former historian and chief ranger at the Chickamauga uh, National Military Park. Okay. And, so uh, this guy, Tinney, he worked at the park from 1969 to 1986, so a long time. And he also spent time working at the uh, battlefield of Shiloh, Tennessee, you know, another big 
big uh, bloody battlefield. And he said uh, that the ghostly sightings at Chickamauga or any big Civil War site are not uncommon at all. Now, when he says ghostly sightings, is he talking about apparent soldiers or this green eyes uh, Just creep? anything creepy. Wow, man. Yeah. And, and he goes on to talk specifically about old green eyes. And uh, he says it haunts that battlefield, Chickamauga, in, in various forms. Get this. Of course, in the form of the Confederate soldier to that of a green-eyed panther. Jeez. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, because it gives, gives you the creeps thinking about it. You know, can you imagine being out there looking around and being confronted with this? Oh, and there's so many accounts of this thing that go all the way back, you know, before the Civil War. And like yeah. I said, during the Civil War. Yeah, so the, the whatever this demonic entity is, is attached to that area. Yeah. It, it hasn't left. In other no, words, it's, it's always it's, there. Always there. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, you know, Tinney goes on and he says, you know, wherever wherever he's been, whether it's the Civil War battlefields like this one or in Europe, apparently he fought in World War II. The, you know, he says there's been incidents and sightings that can't be explained by human logic of these creatures. You know, wherever there's been great amount of deaths and suffering. Right. And, you know, not only relative to this of which you're speaking, but when you think about Bigfoot and the many mysteries involved in with that uh, uh, entity or creature, there are things that stagger the imagination. We don't have explanations for all of these things as to how and why they happen. Yeah. So this is just another addition to that list. This old green eyes uh, creature or creep, whatever it is, attached to this land down there in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And there's some accounts going all the way back to the centennial celebration of the U.S. in 1876 uh, in Chattanooga in some of these uh, books like the official history of Catoosa County where, um, you know, a gentleman talks there where he was back there and he and his friends spotted something in the battlefield 10 feet high with a big white head. Holy smoke. <laughs> I mean, you don't imagine, Kev, you don't imagine you see something 10 feet high with no, a white this. head. So he and his friends ride up to it on horseback, and they had a carriage with them, too. And it says, right, they rode right up by the ghost, and uh, a baby, they heard the sound of a baby crying, and the ghost said, let me alone. Wow. How do you like that, man? I mean, it's just freaking creepy. Talking 10-foot-high ghosts. Oh, my goodness, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, man, I wouldn't be hanging around too long when that happened. You know what I mean? No, I'm not uh, I'm not going to be camping down near Chickamauga in the near future. <laughs> oh, my it's, God. It's, it's not on my bucket list. Oh, man, oh, man, you know. Yeah, I don't know. People can say what they will, but I think your average person, if confronted with such a situation, would be out of their lickety split. 
And, you know, I don't care who you are. What are you going to do against something like that? Are you going to wait for it to do something other than what it's already done? Yeah. Maybe it could attack you or possess you or some other craziness, you know? Yep. Wow. Yeah, so this guy, Tinny, back to him, who worked in the park here at Chickamauga, he said that uh, one day in 1976, he was out there, and, you know, he's a park ranger, and he went out at about 4 a.m. on his watch, right? He went to check on some battlefield reenactors that were camping out in the park. He said that while he was walking near a road called Glen Kelly Road, he encountered a man over six feet tall, wearing a long black coat with shaggy, stringy black waist-length hair walking toward him. From the man's body language, Tinney feared he was about to be attacked, so he crossed to the other side of the road. He said that when the man became parallel with him, he turned and smiled a devilish grin, and his dark eyes glistened. Tinney said he turned to face the man and began to backpedal, as his companion he was with did as well. At that, the car came down a straightaway in the road, and when the headlights hit the other man, it vanished right in front of his eyes. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, Kev, what I always say, uh, and I've said it before, I'm going to say it again now. Uh, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Right. When you see something black and ominous like that, uh, it's always an indication of the demonic, in my opinion. Yeah. And the wor- the verbiage that Tinney uses, you know, sinister. Yep. He didn't say happy. I mean, the choice of words is very descriptive. Oh, a absolutely. Sinister, it's not by accident, you know, right? No, 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 because he felt that. You know, you feel the presence of evil. Yep. And the same thing happens in the realm of Bigfoot, right? Some yep. people say, I felt afraid for my life yeah so for those who say well bill wj why do you say always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need what are you gonna shoot bigfoot hey man if that thing's bearing down on me yeah i'm pulling the trigger (laughs) you know what i mean yeah (laughs) Yeah. super cool yeah, wow, that's crazy, man. Yeah, and there's a couple of other ghosts that people talk about being seen around here. Like one of the one of the sites in the battlefield uh, is called Snodgrass Hill, where there were some strong battles, but there was also that was the location of a field hospital as well. And um, they they see from time to time uh, a ghost or a, you know a image of a woman with a white dress, kind of like a nurse. Um, walking around uh, also, you know, being seen by many, many people right around there, as well as our green-eyed friend. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not so opposed as to a woman in a white dress as long as she doesn't turn around and have a skeletal face. Well, that's what I was thinking. She might be the woman in the white dress and then turn around and be this guy with the long black stringy hair <laughs> and the devilish <laughs> grin. <laughs> Changed his getup. Come on, we're all thinking that. (laughs) (laughs) Come here, everything's okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. Oh, my God. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. I I encourage uh, our listeners, again, if you're down there in southeast, in the southeast, in northern Georgia, Tennessee, you know, write in. Tell us what you know about this green-eyed devil. 
because um, yeah. there's a lot out there, a lot on YouTube, a lot of written stuff. This these newspaper articles, uh, a couple of books on it. I mean, uh, there's a lot written. It's been around for a long time. Pretty creepy. Yeah, and it's amazing, Kev. Right? How, how much our listeners know. Oh yeah. Uh, the the type of data they bring out, and they send us links to this and that, and. It's really remarkable, uh, the knowledge base. No doubt. And that's what this is all about. We have a big audience. There's a lot of people out there that don't mind contacting us, saying hello, we love the show, how about this, check into that, I know this and about thus, thus, and so. It's all good. Yeah, I mean, look at the folks that wrote in that said that they saw the Minnesota Iceman when they were kids. Oh, that was amazing. I mean, that's just unbelievable. That one guy who said his father took him to Sears in Alabama, they waited in line, they go in, and they see this Minnesota Iceman creature, just like we talked about in cryptids. Yeah, and all of this stuff, you know, if you think about it, newspaper articles, testimonials, all of these things are real happenings to somebody in their life. No doubt about it, yeah. And, you know, just because we weren't there uh, doesn't diminish the fact that they were and they're sharing what happened to them and what their experience was. No. And of course, Bill, I I know you know this and our listeners have probably figured it out. I try to pick stuff that's pretty interesting, but also well documented. You know, not there's a lot of stuff out there that's like this little tiny single occurrence. Someone heard about it or the thing is made up, you know. Or it's thought to be made up. We may touch on one of those in one of our upcoming uh, podcasts. Um, but this stuff, you know, most of the stuff we do is very well documented. There's a lot of information about out there about it. So therefore, a lot of you out there may have additional information about it, too. That's right. Excellent job, Kev. Old green eyes. <laughs> well, I've got something, uh, you know, there's really no end to the how and why uh, people are confronted with Bigfoot or see Bigfoot or the evidence of Bigfoot. And this certainly falls into the uh, category of unusual, although it's not the only account I have uh, in this kind of format. And you'll understand that more as I go along. This following interesting sighting was told to me by Mark Sweeney, a resident of California. And this is what Mark and his co-pilot, that's right, co-pilot, saw in the 80s. I know, Bill, that you had asked me to narrow down the time frame of this sighting, to which I said that I wasn't willing to do so, being fully aware that I was now a contributor to the I Don't Want to Speak About It club. There is no doubt that there is a fear or stigma attached to such things as a Bigfoot sighting, and as a pilot, I don't want to take any chances. There aren't that many of us in the entire state, so it's difficult to remain incognito. During this particular week, our unit was working with the fire department as eyes in the air while they were performing a controlled burn in several areas. This is done somewhat regularly in an effort to help contain wildfires from erupting in the hills and elsewhere. My job was basically to do flyovers, 
looking for any escaped embers that were igniting somewhere other than where the burn was being done. This way, a crew could extinguish them quickly before anything bad happened. We were north of Los Angeles at the time, and as things were starting to heat up, we were given the command to head into the sky and keep our eyes open. We were several hours into the morning as the winds began to pick up, which caused the command to begin to shut down the burn for the day, not willing to give opportunity for anything else to develop. As all the ground units began to extinguish the fires, smoke began to billow through the hills below us. And seeing things were well in hand, my co-pilot and I headed over the hill for somewhat of a little joyride before heading back. We had only gone a few miles outside of the view of the main burn and were heading down the backside of this hill when my co-pilot rang through my headset saying, Hey Mark, I think I just saw a Bigfoot. Turn back east a bit. I immediately hit the stick and banked the aircraft around as he began to focus on the ground and direct me. We began to dip down low and he pointed into the trees saying, Right over there, he's moving through those pines. Well, I have to tell you, I was absolutely giddy and I still didn't have eyes on it until I swept the bird down about a hundred feet over the trees, and here comes this black Bigfoot in overdrive, running out of the trees and into another grouping. I have never seen anything on legs move that fast in my entire life, and there it was before me. As best as I could estimate, I had the creature doing about 40 miles per hour on level ground, and he was leaping over anything and everything in his pass, just like an Olympic hurdler. I mean, legs fully outstretched and covering an incredible amount of ground. I think that it must have begun moving away from the smoke, and then we came diving down out of the sky which sent it running. The two of us were excited out of our minds, and I was right on this thing for almost a mile, if not more, before it seemingly disappeared within some boulders and another group of trees. I was literally loitering over this small area for some 15 minutes, but we couldn't see any sign of movement even though we knew it was under us somewhere. I was actually beginning to feel bad for it in a weird kind of way, thinking we could cause it to have a heart attack or the like, and I swung the chopper away, heading back to the burn site. When we were at our closest point, I was following at about two or 300 feet, and we had a really good look at the Bigfoot. It was a huge animal capable of a ridiculous display of agility moving over the landscape. If it wanted an animal, and I mean any animal, it could easily run it down and take it, 
That's how fast this thing was moving. We knew what we had seen. And after landing, my co-pilot had made the crucial error in blabbering to everyone about the sighting. I had tugged at his shirt and gave him a wink to shut up, which may have actually saved his career. Weeks later, we were invited to a little sit-down to explain what we had seen, at which I took the lead, simply stating that we had seen a large animal running through the hills that I couldn't honestly identify. Unfortunately, I had lied, but that's the way it fell out. My co-pilot basically applied a bandage to what he had said, saying that perhaps he was a little overzealous in his comments, and that was that. But this is exactly the type of scenario which keeps people's lips closed about such encounters. For just that easily, we could have lost our jobs, and that would have been that as well. There is, however, no doubt whatsoever what we saw that day, which was a Bigfoot fleeing from our helicopter and the fire's smoke. What do you think of that, Kevin? Super cool. I think that's the first sighting we've heard about from a helicopter. Yeah, I have a number of aerial sightings, which I'm sure we'll get to over time. But think about the bird's eye view over a landscape. You know, what could be better than that looking for things moving on the ground? And of course, if you catch something in the open field, or as they said, in between uh, hiding places, all this thing could do was keep booking until it got somewhere else where it felt secure. And they were there to yeah. see it, you know. So it's very, very bizarre, uh, these types of sightings and the how and the why things happen to different people. Yeah, super cool. And in probably the 25th time, somebody, you know, in a professional setting, right, doing their job, they see the hairy man and then they're afraid to talk about it because of the repercussions. Yeah, and you know, it also reminded me, Kev, uh, in our last podcast, you were talking about the uh, 25 million acre burn down in uh, Australia, yeah. Oz, and uh, and the fact that this Yowie hunter or uh, documenter has not had any uh, documentation brought to him about sightings since that happened. In that, in that area where they usually see them and where there was a significant burn. Yeah, so, and really, look at this. This is the same thing. Uh, These guys are doing a controlled burn, but animals don't like that. Oh, they don't know, controlled or uncontrolled. Yeah, they don't know what you're doing. Their land's on fire. Right, smoke, fire. And by the way, if you or I were in there, you know, by chance, like we weren't supposed to be, and we were in there and it's controlled burn or, or forest fire, it doesn't matter. We don't want to go on fire. We're getting out of there. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, unless you were informed beforehand, if you were in the woods in Northern California and smelled smoke uh, and the smoke and wind was blowing in your direction, you think you're going to stand around? Dude, I got to tell you, even if they informed me ahead of time, I'm getting out of there. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that place just goes up in flames, you know. (laughs) Holy cow. I don't care what the intentions are and how good they are. 
you know, you you might go up and smoke as well. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, it's an incredible, incredible sighting, and the fact that the men, uh, you know, you have two guys who eventually come to one mindset after the fact. The one guy starts blabbering, and the other guy's really concerned about his job and his welfare. Uh, but they're given an opportunity the second time around, and the other guy changes his tune uh, to join up with the pilot uh, in saying that, you know, maybe I was a little overzealous and what I saw wasn't what I initially said, you know? Yep. No but, doubt about uh, it. It's, it's, it's freaky, you know? You, you can't blame some people, especially where your livelihood is concerned. Oh, uh, yeah, especially like when you are a pilot working, I guess, for the Forest Service or something like that, and then you're on duty and you see this and you're going to get on the radio and talk about it, eh, nothing good yeah. is going to come out of that. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I try to put myself in the same position as those uh, who come forth and you know sometimes you side with them and is it the right thing to do well it's the right thing into to do in the moment in somebody's mind right or wrong or indifferent you know it's just what, what are you going to say you know i i got a family no, at home I mean, and we, what i think we covered it bill in our first episode of the podcast here we are 57 episodes later and we're still talking about it because it's interesting. You know, if you saw one tomorrow, who would you tell? You know, because it probably wouldn't be everyone. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I mean, I definitely wouldn't hold on to the secret for 25 years like some of these people. Right. But, you know, you may not tell everybody. Yeah, well, you know me. I mean, I'm one of the people who would probably tell a lot of people. Well, you're kind and of shy my, and reserved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's that's my way of doing things, and that's how I find out a lot of things. I've told you and the listeners that many times. I mean, not everybody has a life-sized sheet metal silhouette of a Bigfoot <laughs> on their roof that's covered in Christmas lights. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, <laughs> you're right, 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 you know. That well, you can see people, from a helicopter when you're flying over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there, Kev, like I was saying earlier, that don't even know what Bigfoot is. They think Bigfoot's their nephew who plays uh, <laughs> basketball for Georgia Tech, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think we're presumptuous sometimes about how many people have no idea what we're talking about out yeah, there. Yeah, fair enough, know? fair enough. So, uh Anyways, that's it. I mean, I thought that was a great account, and uh, I wanted to bring it out. And I think your story about this old green eyes in Georgia was freaking spot on for the creep. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one for sure. Wow. Cool. Well, we are going to go to some listener mail. We got some good ones this week, Bill. Okay, man. So the first one, the subject is, yeah, we. <laughs> <laughs> This I is fantastic. It. So Brad is writing in, and Brad lives in Adelaide in southern Australia. Okay. And the message is, this is great. G'day, Cobbers. <laughs> What's the good word? <laughs> he says, I'm Brad from Adelaide in the, south, in the state of South Australia. 
There are not many Yowie sightings out my way. They tend to be more on the East Coast, especially further north in what he calls the tropics. Just wanted wow. to say, I love your podcast, and it was awesome to hear some Yowie stories on the last podcast. I just came across this article on a Yowie Facebook group you might find interesting. So I'm going to I'm actually going to read the article. But then he ends it, which I think is great, Bill. He says, keep up the good work and keep practicing your Aussie accent. They're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we do it because they are terrible. And Brad, I have never been called a cobber before. (laughs) I got to look that up. Hopefully it's not Uh. foul language. (laughs) <laughs> Interesting, Kev, as you prepared to read uh, what he referenced. Yeah. He, he's aware of sightings in other places, oh, just yeah, not yeah. where he is. Just not in Adelaide. I've been to the city of Adelaide, too. It's beautiful. Right. That's incredible. So, wh- so what did he send us? What, what is it you got? So he sent us an article from the Daily Mail, you know, which covers Bigfoot a lot. And it's uh, from, uh, well, it shows up with today's date, let's see here, July 17th, says, so pretty recently of 2020. Okay. And the headline is, Yowie Encounter, Man Reveals His Terrifying Run-In with a Massive Hairy, hairy Animal While on a back Bike Ride with His Friend. Now, in this article, this is an example where he had this encounter, this man had this encounter 40 years ago. In 1978, and now he's talking about it. Holy cow. So, you know, as you get older, typically people are less inhibited to talk about things. Yep, yep. You know, it's just the way it is. Yeah, so these guys, these kids, they're out riding their bike, right? His name, too. He gives his name, Kieran Darcy, had an encounter with a creature when he and his friend were exploring a heavily wooded area near Palm Beach in Queensland. So we talked about the sightings in Queensland being a bit of a hotbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was in 1978. Wow. And he says they came across a foul smell. Shocking, I know, right? Before yeah, yeah. they saw a massive hairy animal standing on two legs, shaking a 40-foot-tall pine tree back and forth. Wow. And he says the gigantic creature let out a roar and the scared boys fled the area on their bicycles. Holy Can you imagine? No. And here <laughs> we are. The foul odor is in Australia or in the United States. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't Stinks. matter. Wow. Yeah. And, and the say, roar. What's that? And the roar. And the roar. And uh, it's gonna, they're going to talk about the favorite feature. But let's get to it. He says the sun was starting to go down. So when they saw it, it was a silhouette of the creature. But the hair looked to be a deep red auburn color. There you go. That same color pattern again and again and again. And there wasn't much hair on its face. We hear that all the time. And it had a flat top head that basically ended at its eyebrows. Wow. And they saw the animal shaking a tree and let out a deafening roar. And he and his friends were terrified. And he said the eyes of the creature were, what do you think? Red. Red. Ah, it had to be red, didn't it? It had to be red. Wow. 
Wow, a flat top head ending at the ridge of its eyes? Yeah, well, that's kind of like a lot of those sketches look that way, right? Like they got that severe brow line ridge. Yeah. And I don't know if it's flat like Herman Munster, you know. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, a lot of people des- describe that, like, brow ridge. Exactly, exactly. Like, anatomically, the bones in the forehead of this creature seem to, like, jut out or bulge Absolutely. out. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, this deep eye sockets. Yep. Uh, where the eyes sometimes, unless they're illuminated like this case, uh, are sometimes hard to distinguish from the, the depth of the eye socket, the darkness. Yep. It's weird, you and know. he says he looked across at his mate, who was one of the tough kids in school, when I saw his face, I knew we had to get out of there. We got back <laughs> home in about 10 seconds, I reckon. We yeah. were so scared. Wow, man. Wild, I, huh? Yeah, I I put myself in their shoes. I think initially you'd be overwhelmed to the point of shock. Yeah. And then it, it might take you a, a, just a little bit to kind of kind of regroup and start pedaling, you know? Yeah, and, you know, he does talk about in the story that right after that he told his mother and some of his friends at school, but nobody believed him. There you go. Yeah, and they all thought he was crazy. Yep, another stupid kid or another stupid man Making telling stuff him something up. fantastic. Got nothing you better know. to do than make stuff up. Yeah, and make yourself look like an idiot in the process, exactly. you know? Exactly. Wow, amazing, Kev. Yeah. Incredible. All right, the next letter comes in, another good one, from Gavin in Texas. Okay. And this is uh, what you were talking about, Bill. So the subject is Alaska Village Abandoned Due to Possible Bigfoot Mutilations. Right, And, you right. know, in fairness, we touched on this in a podcast in the Cryptid and news segment, but we didn't go that far into it. Like, I, as I recall, I was telling you guys, telling you and the listeners about my trip to Alaska last summer. Okay. Uh, where I spent a few weeks up there hanging out with the bears camping. And uh, I talked about this story, I think, in that episode. So we didn't go fully into it. But so he writes in, uh, Gavin, he says, gents, greetings from Texas. I'm not a researcher. But I am, like you, an avid consumer of all information on Sasquatch. I really enjoy your podcasts. My brother and I lived in Alaska for a summer during college. He loved it so much that he moved back after graduation and has lived there since. <coughs> Excuse me. I was curious why we, don't, why we don't get more accounts of encounters out of the state with such massive wilderness areas. So I've researched over the years. There's one story that never seems to get old about a fishing village in the Kenai that was abandoned decades ago due to what is perceived as killings, mutilations by a Bigfoot-type creature. It's the story of Port Chatham, now considered a creepy ghost town. It would make a great podcast topic. So we'll look at it again, Gavin. And this story, right, this Port Chatham, as I recall, it was like a lumber town. And um, they're they're living there in this town, you know, a bunch of folks. I want to say the early 1900s. And um, 
mutilated bodies of people from the town would start to wash up on shore right in the downtown area. And just over time, more and more mutilated bodies would just show up. And then folks just said, let's get the heck out of here. Yeah, now, I'm not sure where to go on this because my recollection of this is that this was a town in the wilderness that was formed as a fish cannery. Oh, maybe it was a fish cannery. I was saying a lumber place, but maybe it's a fish cannery. Yeah, now, the first I heard of it, uh, the initial... Uh, and I may be wrong. I'm just putting this out there. The initial injury to an individual there uh, was a killing. And the man was killed by what the inhabitants looked at as a large implement, some type of piece of farming equipment, almost like Kev, imagine taking the snowplow from the front of a pickup truck and being able to pick it up and whack somebody with it, killing them. Hmm. It, it was some really bizarre thing, a gigantic piece of iron, not a hammer, not a rake. Impaled something. on a John Deere tractor. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that was one of the initial things. And then it got to the point there where sightings and, and uh, encounters were happening on a regular basis to the point where all of the hard work these pioneer people had put in was abandoned and they all split. Mm. So, you know, maybe one day we could really break this down and see what we could dig up uh, in the future and and have a little uh, remake. Yeah, no doubt about it. I'll I'll start looking again. Yeah, it's a a heavy-hitting story, and Gavin, Gavin was his name, right? Yes. Yeah, Gavin's right about that. Gavin it's, from it's a, Texas. Yeah, it's a heavy-hitting story and deserves uh, a, a little further attention, you know? Yeah. Wow, thank you, Gavin. Yeah, so the next one comes in from Bill. And uh, Bill doesn't... Or maybe he's in South Carolina. Oh, no, no. I'm not sure where he is. So, But maybe, maybe we'll come across it, but I can't recall in a uh, in, uh, letter here. This is a longer letter. Um, but it's good. It includes an account that Bill participated in. So we'll go a little long on this one, but it's pretty interesting. So the subject is love your work. Thank you, Bill. And the message is dear Bill and Kevin. He said, Kevin, wow. that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> He says, I absolutely love your podcast. In my opinion, it's the best podcast out there. It literally has it all. Kevin's Cryptids in the News segment is fascinating. He said Kevin again. That's weird. (laughs) The interplay between you two is hilarious. And I could listen to Bill describe rebuilding a transmission, although that admittedly would not be terrifying. (laughs) <laughs> well, you haven't seen me rebuild the transmission. That say, would be that terrifying. That could be terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> he writes, Bill, I first began listening, uh, became aware of you when you appeared on two episodes of Sasquatch Chronicles. Um, I was so thrilled by the accounts you read from your books that I immediately bought all seven volumes of your books. And as soon as volume eight comes out in paperback, I will be buying it as well. So thank you there for buying the books. At the time, I didn't realize you had a podcast of your own, 
But when I found out you did, I jumped in with both feet. I listen while I'm walking or practicing the guitar and have quickly burned through all of the episodes thus far. When I discover something like your show and books, I am evangelistic in spreading the word and hope for their own good that those I steer in your direction follow through and check it out. I should mention that part of the reason, aside from the subject matter itself, I enjoy your narration so much is that your accent reminds me of my grandmother and great aunt, a classic Irish Catholic uh, wit who were New Yorkers as well. They have long Uh. since passed, but listening to you reminds me of them. However, I do wonder why you and Kevin don't share an accent. Well, that's easy, Bill. That's because one of us was raised by a Bigfoot. (laughs) 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 He says, I've been intrigued by Sasquatch since an encounter I and two of my friends had in January of 1976. We were 13 at the time, and we were dropped off by our parents at Silent Lake, which is located near Quilcene and Hood Canal in Washington State. We intended to camp to test out our cold-weather camping gear we had received for Christmas. It may seem strange to just drop off three 13-year-olds in the middle of nowhere, but in those days, things were a bit different. And I get, I, and different, I guess. And the folks were staying at a cabin about six miles south of us. In addition, my family camped just about every weekend year-round, so I had developed reasonably good woodcraft. Silent Lake is a long, narrow, about 100 yards wide, and fairly shallow lake. We set up camp in a small clearing on the west side of the lake adjacent to Coil Road, and things were fairly routine until we banked the fire and went to bed. No sooner had we retired to the tent that we heard the most ungodly roar, howl, scream come across the lake. At first, we thought perhaps our folks were trying to scare us. After all, three adolescent boys on their own in the middle of nowhere, you get the drift. That line of reasoning went out the window quickly when we realized the power behind that voice. Even at that age, I understood the power of water to amplify sound, but this was far beyond that. In addition to the roaring screams that were 10 to 15 seconds in duration, there were what could best be described as chuffing grunts that were deep and resonant, almost more felt than heard. Hmm. I recently heard someone describe the intensity of these types of vocalizations as sound as a weapon. And though I lacked the sophistication to articulate it in that way, That, at the time, fits perfectly. This Mm -hmm. demonstration of vocal prowess lasted about 20 minutes, with vocalizations every few minutes or so. Needless to say, we were cowering in our tent uh, in abject terror until the sun rose. Mm. Except for the axe and small knives, we were unarmed and completely at the mercy of whatever was out there. If we had a car, we would have split. But there we were, nowhere to run. As far as we knew, it never crossed the lake or circumnavigated it to where we were camping. Didn't hear anything moving nearby, no prints, etc. I'm convinced it was a Sasquatch, even though we never spotted anything. 
While not exactly Jeremiah Johnson, my family routinely camped in remote areas of Washington all over the state. Consequently, I was familiar with animal vocalizations of all types of creatures native to the area. Elk, fox, coyote, wolf, bear. I haven't heard a cougar in person, but I am familiar in a general way what those sound like. And as far as I'm aware, nothing in this state is so loud that it vibrates one body from 100 yards or more away. Mm. Keep up the great work and my best to you and yours. Bill. Awesome. Killer, right? awesome. What a story. Absolutely killer. And, you know, from a 13-year-old kid at the time, you know, kids brought up in different locations of the country know and experience things that people in my area don't. Oh, yeah. I mean, my little uh, Paula's nephew and niece, basketball, soccer, school, uh, internet, iPods, they're not uh they're not camping, they're not being left alone in the woods. They don't identify animal sounds and you know, these kids were left there because they were deemed responsible by their parents to be there. Yeah, and in my experience, you know, living out there for four or five years, Bill, it's pretty typical. Like Washington, Oregon, it's a real outdoorsy place. You know, people are kinda out one with the land, even though they sleep in a house, you know, at night. They, yep. uh, they're always out hiking, camping. You know, we were always out hiking, camping in the wintertime, skiing, you know, just com- always outdoors as much as you could be. Yeah. And, you know, who knows if this creature was howling or, or making all of Bellowing, these noises yeah. at, at them? Who knows? Yeah. There might have been something going on uh, on the other side of the lake or whatever. and No doubt. Uh, yeah. But... Certainly, it would just creep the daylights out of you being out there, three (laughs) kids. Oh, my God. All right. And our last letter, Bill, this one's short, but I just love it. So uh, I want to read it. So um, uh, this is from Matt, and I'm not sure where Matt is from. Um, But he says, um, first of all, I'd like to say I'm glad you're both back to health and podcasting a full steam ahead. Well, I was always at health. Bill heard his back, but that's okay. <laughs> Secondly, I want you to know as well, I'm sure all the listeners feel that you both are a big part of keeping us sane through these challenging times. To have a place to escape from the world of chaos uh, we seem to be in the in is tranquil. Thank you for your dedication to excellence in providing an entertaining and often educational podcast for us to lose ourselves into. My prayers go out to you and for your continued health and prosperity for you and your families. Thank you again for being soldiers of sanity in this war of chaos. Wow. I mean, that's just awesome. Like, I, you know, by the way, uh, Matt and everybody else out there, Bill and I doing this helps keep us sane too in this, you know, in this uh, world of chaos, as as Matt put it. Yeah, and you know, Kev, uh, it's heartwarming to say the least. Uh, what he took the time to say to us, reaching out to us, and yep. I'm sure I'm sure there are others out there who feel the same way that uh, he does. And as you said, Kev, uh, uh, we're a family here, and. And this helps us as much as we hope it helps you. 
uh, in these troubled times uh, to kick it around a little bit, to get our mind onto something else for a little while, you know? Oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, all of you out there, you know, you especially you guys that are new, like Bill and I are 600 miles apart. We don't see each other that much in person, even prior to COVID. But we see each other at least once a week here on Skype, going through uh, recording these episodes, having some laughs together. And it's fantastic. You know, and I'm, we're so glad to share it with all of you. And we love it when you share thoughts like you have with us. So thank you, Absolutely. Matt. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, all of you, by the way, for the great reviews. Keep them coming in. If you haven't left a review or even if you want to, if you did already, leave us another one, but only leave us five star reviews. These five star reviews, they're important to us because they bring in more listeners. And as we get more listeners, we're able to continuously improve the quality of the podcast, which is great for everybody. So thank you for those great five star reviews. Please keep them coming and be safe out there. Yeah, that's awesome, Kev. And uh, the listeners, I just can't say enough about them. Just some fantastic people. And folks, once again, as we end what was a great podcast, I'm sure you'll agree. May I warn you all, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.